Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. All right, so we have a lot to get into. Uh, first off, Jeff, thanks for handling last week. I was on a plane and uh, I got in just in time to hear you guys. So oh, uh, great job. Well, not last week, but the week before that. Right. So when you and uh, Elliot, so didn't you like having Elliot on more than me? Well, no, I know. No. All right. Sure. Not that I didn't say that I'd rather have Elliot on than you. <laughs> All right, guys, we got a lot to do. A lot to do, very little time, right? So here's what we got. We got uh, Tax Tuesday, ask a lot of questions. <laughs> he finished on time. That's just not nice, Jerry. <laughs> if you need a detailed response, you can always send it in via the Platinum Portal. But otherwise, we're going to answer it. This is supposed to be fast, fun, educational. We answer a lot of questions here, and uh, we want to make sure that we get you guys squared away. Questions that we're going to be answering today, I'm going to go through, through these fairly quickly, but we're going to hit them all. And we already have a whole bunch of questions going on. Before we go into there, I should say that we have on, I know that we have Christos, we have on Elliot, Matthew is on, Patty, Christos, Dana. Oh, Dana's on, Elliot, Thomas, Pio. My gosh, we have Troy. So we have some heavy hitters on, guys. We have some uh, accountants and and even to throw in there, well, I can't really say Troy's a bookie because he's also an accountant, but he's there. Mm-hmm. Dana's an accountant. Christos is an accountant. I'm a tax lawyer and Jeff's a CPA. So you got a whole bunch of people to answer questions for you. Just go ahead and shoot them out there. They answer all during the session. So you feel free to put it in the question and answer section. If you want to respond to something I'm saying immediately, put it into the chat. So if you have an immediate clarifying question that you need uh, to ask, by all means, throw it in the chat. If you have a question that you want answered, that is a little more than just, hey, here's a comment on something we just said, then throw it in the question and answer. So questions that we have today. Does day trading cause a higher tax consequence than long-term investing? We will answer that. If I own a property and owe back taxes, can the government take it? If I die, can they take it? Can I rent a house owned by one of my LLCs? If so, do I have to pay rent to that LLC? How does rental income get taxed? So we're getting some good questions already. We'll answer those. I trade futures four or five days a week and never hold overnight. Would I be better off to move my trading accounts into a Wyoming LLC taxed as a C-Corp? I had even considered moving to Puerto Rico for the mandatory time per year to capture the tax benefits. Interesting. That's like you better be trading a lot of futures. <laughs> my two sons, college age, are uh, limited partners of my retail space rental LLC, which again, we'll hit on what some of you guys already spot the issue. Do they have to pay self-employment tax if they receive rental income as LPs or GPs? So we'll, we'll go over that for sure. Jeff loves these ones, by the way. This is like tax crack for the accountants. Does the IRS allow you to defer and not take depreciation? Our group of investors do not want or need depreciation. That's nice for them. Can we not take it and wait to take it in the year sale? So we will answer that one. Surprising answers. How is staking crypto taxed? Is it taxed twice? If it is taxed as income, but I never sell it, how can I afford to pay tax on it? Great question. 
for those of you guys like crypto. We've been getting a lot of crypto questions mm-hmm. the last few months. A lot of people getting interested in it. Now's the time to get in there, I guess. Good question on 1031 exchanges. I love the weird ones. If I'm doing a 1031 exchange, can I pay down my mortgage on the sale property to avoid boot? For example, the current loan on the relinquished property is $204,000. New loan on replacement property is $194,000. So it's a good question. We're going to get to talk about boot. Can solar credits be used one-to-one against capital gains? So the money can you pay out is at least going towards a product that you own. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Good questions. All right, let's jump in. Jeff, does day trading cause a higher tax consequence than long-term investing? Typically, if you have gains, it's going to have a higher tax consequence, primarily because the day trading is all going to be short-term trades, whereas the long-term capital gains is subject to that long-term capital gain treatment, usually a much lower uh, tax percentage. Yeah, you nailed it. So uh, what Jeff is saying is when you trade, it's considered capital assets. So securities are capital. So they're subject to capital gains. If it's, if it's a, less than a year, it's at your ordinary rate, which is your normal tax rate. So if you're in the 22% tax bracket, that's where it's going to fall, just like any other income. As opposed to long-term capital gains rates, which you're going to hear a lot about as we keep seeing what's going on with Congress, is they're taxed at 0, 15, or 20%, depending on your income. And under that example, if you're in the 20-some percent rate, you're in the 15% long-term capital gains rate. So it's taxed at a lower rate. So yeah, you're probably going to be much better off. If you're making, I'll give you an example. If I'm a day trader, married, filing jointly, making $70,000 a year, my long-term capital gains rate is zero. My short-term capital gains rate would be what? I mean, 70000 So it's somewhere in the teens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm paying quite a bit more. But it's not like you're getting the snot kicked out of you and you're not paying self-employment tax. So day trading is a fancy way of saying rapidly trading. There's no such thing as a day trader in the tax code. There's not such thing as a trader in the tax code. They kind of made it up uh, as they went and the courts uh, decided. So what do you call an attorney with an IQ over 80? Your honor. So they went to the, <laughs> come on. So they went to, uh, they went to court and they started asking, you know, your honor, what should we do? And they, the answers are all over the place. Like it's any given, there's that old movie, any given Sunday, any given tax day. So you're like, holy kashmoli, these guys are coming up with all sorts of ways to, to deny people, sometimes give people. What I've noticed is that they'll oftentimes approve a trader when it doesn't really help them anyway. But they always deny you when it seems like you're going to come out ahead. I don't know. Maybe that's just judges. This brings up something that we've seen where people started investing when the market was way down mm-hmm. and had these big gains from the market rebounding. Right on. So then they had to make the decision, do I go ahead and sell while it's high and take the short-term capital gain or do I risk holding it a couple more months and taking the long-term capital gain? And it really is an issue of whether... How much you think it's going to go down if it's up significantly? And if only we had that crystal ball. Charlie Munger put it well. He goes, the hardest thing about investing, if you can learn to do this, you ready? I'm going to show you physically what to do. You take your right hand and you put it underneath your right butt cheek. You take your left hand and put it under your left butt cheek and you keep them there, right? If you could just sit on your hands long enough, you tend to do okay. But that's long-term investing. That's what I like to do. The short-term stuff is like if you're chasing GameStop, AMC, and you're playing around in those games, then you got to be in and out. 
Or if you're someone who's just doing daily swings, I get it, right? I'm not going to tell you not to do it. I'm just going to say that you have a 95.5% chance of losing money if that's what you're doing, because that's the that's the success rate of, of, of day traders. So, and there's numerous sites that can back that up. Plus our personal experience is that mm-hmm. people that try to time the market, what do you say it's 80% lose? Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to beat the the, the AI computers. They are good. You're not likely to be a success. Now, if you're just trying to beat out the Robinhood people, you may have better luck. <laughs> or you just sit back, buy good companies that are paying dividends, and you sit back and you let them increase. Just like, again, the, the hardest thing sometimes is is the waiting. Isn't that a, gosh darn it, that's twice I've done that this week. I started quoting Tom Petty songs, Heartbreakers. All right, next one. If I own property and I owe back taxes, can the government take it? If I die, can they take it? If you owe back taxes... The government can certainly take your property. They can put a tax lien on your property, and if that lien is not paid, you will find your property being sold on the county courthouse steps. Yeah, so so I I guess I would do one little nuance here because words matter, right? Can the government take your house? No. Could they potentially foreclose on your house? Yes. And then they could sell it to make up for the taxes. So like your house is worth $500,000. You have back taxes of 50. They go push your house into sale and it, and it get, gathers 450000 they can't just take your house, right? They can't just take the whole thing. They can take the portion that they owe. And you usually have a redemption period, even if there is a government sale, where they usually it's, it, depending on where you're at, I think it's about a year. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's usually a year that after your house is sold to a third party, you still have up to a year. I think California recently pushed that. There's, there's a redemption period, but regardless, don't let your house get sold at a at a foreclosure sale. Like people invest in tax liens quite often, and sometimes they'll end up with the property because people just don't want to deal with it. And then this, the second answer is, if I die, can they take it? Yeah, it's part of your estate. So again, they can't just take your house. What they have is a lien against your house. Let's say that the government is in second position, meaning that you have a mortgage on your house and then you have unpaid taxes. The government would be considered in second position. So let's say that the primary, like this is what happened in 2008, 9, and 10, primary forecloses, the government lien gets extinguished because they've sold the house. The government generally has a period of time when they can redeem the property for the interest in taxes or in the payment that the mortgage company paid. It gets really wild when you have a second. And so then they could go in there and try to take it, but they're in second position. But just because your lien gets extinguished does not mean that you don't still owe the debt and vice versa. We had a lot of people go through bankruptcies during the, the downturn and they realize when they go to sell their house later that they still have a lien on it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away. It's kind of crazy. All right, let's see what we got for questions and answers rolling around. Can I put a primary residence and rental property inside a Roth? Not your primary residence because you'd be a disqualified person. Can you put a rental property inside a Roth? Yes. As long as it's uh, self-directed, but I'd still put it in an LLC. I see Elliot's probably answering that too. Follow up. What if I day trade in the same securities have wash sales all the while? Day traders aren't subject to the wash sale rules. If you are a trader in securities, meaning that you actually qualify and you make a mark-to-market election, then you don't have to worry about wash sales. Otherwise, yeah, they would treat you as an investor, even though you're day trading, you don't rise to that level, and then you have to worry about wash sales. But I believe your isn't your brokerage house going to handle that? Or the wash sales, typically. Mm-hmm. 
most of them that come out with that mark to market report, mm-hmm. they're totally disregarding the wash sales. And you also need to keep in mind that you can be both a trader and an investor at the same time. So you can have those short terms that you're just turning, mm-hmm. but still hold long-term positions. So you actually could do both, <laughs> but. But yeah, <laughs> don't. This is my experience for 23 years of dealing with this. I know you've been doing it a lot longer, but we, we cut our teeth in the trader area is if you like audits, put trader on your tax return. You know, if you don't like audits, don't. And then just make sure that you're doing at least a thousand round trips a year in the trading world. If you're going to try to be a trader and don't, don't have a full-time job. Don't take long vacations because all of those things are disqualifiers. Yeah. You have to do it all year. Yeah. They had a guy that traded six months, made a ton of money, goofed off and they said it wasn't frequent. It's a very subjective test and I've seen rulings go both ways. So I don't want to rely on the bench to make a decision about what I am. <laughs> Somebody asked a weird question here, by the way. Yeah. I don't want to be relying on, you don't want to have uh, what I call discretionary authority is one of the most vicious things. It's a paternalistic society where you're going to let somebody decide your fate and try, try not to do that. You don't want to put yourself at somebody else's discretion period, because that power sometimes goes to their head and sometimes they're having a bad day and you're yes. just in front of them. And I've seen it. Everybody's seen it where you just see somebody just go off. You can just tell like they're having a bad week. Maybe they're fight with their spouse. Maybe they just got hit on the way. You know, like maybe they got rear-ended while they're coming into the office or whatever, but shoot, yeah, you know, to tread lightly around some of these folks, just don't do it. Somebody, oh, let's go back to this. Somebody says, in general, is it a wise idea to place a rental unit inside of a Roth IRA? Generally speaking, no, uh, it's not going to make me... Actually, I would say that a traditional IRA, I'm a little bit less inclined to because there's so many benefits that me as an individual can have as a in, in a property that I probably won't be paying a lot of tax on it anyway. If I put it in a traditional that I know I'm going to have to pay tax, if I put it in a Roth, at least I'm not, but I lose the benefit of all that depreciation. So, you know, so I'm not going to say, yes, this is bad. I'm just going to say that whenever I see real estate in a retirement plan, I'm always like, yeah, okay. If that's where your money is and that's why you're doing it, you want to, you want to use real estate. Cool. But if I have a choice, I'm probably going to try to get some personal benefit out of it first. And, and keep in mind, if you're a really good handyman, you don't want to put this investment property in that Roth because you can't touch the property after it's inside the Roth or the IRA. Yeah. Who is that artist? Can't touch this. <laughs> MC Hammer. MC Hammer. Yeah, I knew that Jeff would. Uh, it seems like a silly rule, but you can't work on a property that's in your retirement plan. <laughs> Somebody says equity trust told us not to put a duplex that was in a, that's interesting. They said, don't put a duplex into an LLC. You, you actually, the LLC has to be set up by the IRAs. And here's the, here's the rub, Michael, you're personally liable for the, for the liability on that duplex. The, the, the account holders are. So when it says IRA individual, the I in that IRA, you guys are all the ones that are, uh, liable. So if something bad happens, you're personally responsible. All, in, all, I think it would be joint and several. So like you guys would all be pretty much hundred percent liable. So it could be uh, a little bit of carnage. What you do there is you set up a checkbook LLC inside the IRA. It's not that hard. And uh, you know you could talk to us. We do them all the time. And then you put that, you put that wrapper around it so that it can't come out to you guys personally. Somebody says, to what age can we put money into an IRA? I don't think there's a, there's not an age limit, is there? I believe it's 72. 
Oh, is it 401ks that you can go after? Roth you can go after. And, Roth uh, and 401ks. 401ks you can go yeah. after. Traditional? Uh, I think the traditional, they haven't changed that. So let's ask Christos and Pio. Maybe you guys let us know. Send us a send us a chat. Is What's the eldest you could be and, and still contribute to an IRA? So maybe they'll, they'll let us know. They're probably going to answer anyway. And then we just, oh, Dana's answering. Dana, if you can hear me, put the answer in chat. So we can act like we're smart. We got all these smart people on. So, all right, let's keep going on. Can I rent a house owned by one of my LLCs? If so, do I have to pay rent to the LLC? If it's a house that you own, you cannot rent it back to yourself. Are you, you going to disagree with me? I, I, I thought we might have some. Dis- I'm not sure why you would want to do that. Somebody says, Data says, I currently 70 and a half for 2019. I think I changed to 72, right? Yeah, well, it changed to 72, to 72 with the Secure Act. Yeah. All right. So, the, yeah, the Secure Act jumped it up. Thank you, Dana, though. You put us on the right path. You're right. Totally wrong. All right. So here's what we could say on the, can I rent a house owned by one of my LLCs? So this is where I love to be annoyed. LLCs are not taxable entities. See? So if it's a S corp or a C corp for tax purposes, the answer is yes. If it's a partnership or a sole proprietorship disregarded, then the answer is it wouldn't make any difference, right? Because it's still, still you. So, and then if you did that, you're on both sides of the, like you, you can't rent yourself your own house. So from a tax standpoint, the IRS does this. There's no LLC. There's no LLC, right? You're just I'm renting my own house, so. Yeah, it's even worse than that because you're generating income, rental income, but there's no deduction on the other side. Mm-hmm. Well, you wouldn't have income because you can't pay yourself income. If I take money out of my right pocket and put it in my left pocket, it's not going to be taxable if it's my money because it's not a separate tax taxable entity. So how do I pay? Oh, I was rent? just thinking like the partnership and the S-corporation. And- S-corporation for sure. So S-corporation, well, it would be depreciation to the S-corp so if I pay it rent, it's going to depreciate it. The only time you would do this, guys, is if you've had a property that went up in value and you wanted to use the uh, 121 exclusion, the $500,000 exclusion if you're married filing jointly or $250,000 exclusion if you're single, and you want to use that and you sell it under an installment sale to an S-corp, opt out of the installment sale so that you have all that gain. So you have a higher basis and then you rent it out to other people and you start depreciating it. And then maybe you come back and you say, boy, I miss my old house. And then you rent it from yourself. That might be the only situation that I could foresee. Otherwise, you don't want your house in a C-corp. You generally don't want it in an S-corp because getting it out of those entities could be extremely painful from a tax standpoint. Yeah, I'm thinking that if I want to live in one of my rental properties, maybe I've been renting it out for the past 10 years. I just pull it out of service and move in. I don't do any rent between the entity and myself. Nope. You just go on in. So the, the only time you would is if you had a separate tax paying entity. Anyway, that's kind of fun. Boy, we're annoying. How does rental income get taxed? Rental income is taxed as or, at ordinary rates. It's ordinary income. However, it is passive. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about passive income. Why so, is that important? It's important because passive losses are limited by good old Section 469, Mm -hmm. which we haven't talked about, well, except every other time. Section 469 limits how much rental loss you can take. If you're below uh, 
$100,000, you can take up to $25,000 of loss. Mm-hmm. And that phases out over the next $50,000. That's that's if you're an active participant in real estate investing. Which is 200 hours. You don't have to do any hours. It's just, do I manage the property? Oh, okay. Then there's the real estate professional. Right. And that's if <clears throat> we don't have to get into that test, but that's Jeff's really hitting on is that if I have passive income, which is rents or from businesses in which you do not materially participate. So silent ownership. I, I bought into a company that Jeff runs. He runs a pizza shop and it kicks out a $10,000 a year to me for my ownership interest, but I don't do anything. I don't lift a finger for it. I mean, I guess I could lift a finger, but, but I have that income. My rental losses can offset my passive business income and my passive, let's say same scenario, but instead of Jeff giving me income, it it's kicking me down losses. We're partners in a partnership and I'm passive. I could use my loss from my business with Jeff to offset my rental income. So there, there's no old age death and survivors when you have rental income. And so passive income is just not subject to social security taxes at 15.3%, mm-hmm. which you're going to have to start paying attention to because it may be coming back over 400,000. We have a phase out for a portion of it, but you're making a lot of money. You could see yourself getting hit with it, but you never have to worry about that with rental income or businesses in which you do not materially participate. But rental losses and losses from businesses in which you do not materially participate cannot be used against capital gains or ordinary income from other active sources. So you make W-2 income, 500 grand a year, you have rental losses of 100, you can't use the rental losses against that income with the exception of if you qualify as a real estate professional. So that's why it's important. So, you know, the big, the big categories of income, you have your active ordinary income for like wages, or if you're a sole proprietor, or if you materially participate in a partnership, then you have portfolio income, which is your mm-hmm. rents, your, excuse me, which is royalties, dividends, interest, capital gains, and then you have passive income. Those are the big three categories. Most people try to pick them into, into two and they always say like, oh, there's passive and there's active. Well, no, there's actually portfolio. So anyway, so how does it get taxed at your ordinary rate? You offset it though with depreciation. And a guy like Jeff, who's a genius with the tax code, knows how to accelerate your depreciation. So you go to an accountant that knows what they're doing. Jeff may be looking at you saying, hey, you got some income here, but you're in a high tax bracket. And he might start whispering in your ear, hey, we want to rapidly depreciate this thing. Maybe we want to look at doing a cost seg on your property. Maybe we want to look at taking some bonus depreciation. Mm -hmm. Maybe we want to look at your other structures. So it gets kind of fun. Jeff smart. All right. We have lots of questions floating around there. I understand 1031 exchanges cannot be done between immediate family members. However, can family members do a swap properties? That's not exactly correct. Yeah, right. You, you can actually do 1031s with family members. Um, what, where it comes into effect is there's a holding period After. uh, afterwards. That, so five, if I sell... If, two or five. It's either two or five. Something so if like I sell that. a property mm-hmm. to my son or do a like-kind exchange with my son, mm-hmm. he has to hold it for a certain period of time. If he doesn't, it blows up my like-kind exchange. Yep. And they come back and say, hey, Jeff, 
Remember that 1031 you did? Now you owe us tax on it. Yeah, there's a there's a few one. All right, what else we got? I'm not going to sit here and answer too many just because we'll be here all day. I'm not saying anything. I trade futures four or five days a week and never hold overnight. Would I be better off to move my trading accounts into a Wyoming LLC tax as a C-corp? I have even considered moving to Puerto Rico for the mandatory time per year to capture the tax benefits. Is it mandatory you do that? I'm going to stipulate it on one thing. If you have a lot of expenses uh, with your trading, you may have investment materials and computer programs and things of that nature. I may want to put it in an LLC and partner with a corporation or something, somebody who can actually take those deductions because individuals cannot take those investment expenses. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're trading as a... If you're doing if, futures, though, go over futures trading. Trading futures typically get uh, handled under what they call Section 1256. Uh, yes, we like 1256. Here. And 1256 divides each sale into two portions. I believe it's 40% short-term and 60% long-term. Yep. So you get the benefit of those really tasty long-term capital gains rates, no matter whether you held this the future for a day. Like in this case, he's, he's buying or she's buying them and selling them in the same day. Mm-hmm. 60-40. I'm not a fan of putting them in a corporation. If you run into sudden serious losses, you could have losses trapped in that C corporation forever. So here's what we do. So if if you are below at a trading account of about $25,000 and you have trading activity of profits of less than $25,000 a year, you may be okay in a C corp because we can pretty much tell you that the expenses that we see are right around $20,000 a year. You're not going to get hurt. And then if you did, You'd have $5,000 of profit that'd be taxed at the corporate level, and then it would be taxed as a dividend to you, which could be zero, 15, or 20%. And the corporation's taxed 21%. Like you're not going to get slaughtered, or you just pay it out to yourself. If you go above that, then we want to see a mixed entity. You want to have a partnership LLC that is owned probably 20, 30% by a C Corp and go that route. Mm-hmm. So you get all the benefits without the drawback. Puerto Rico. All right. So Puerto Rico is a US territory. And it gets special treatment on its taxation. It's it's under certain circumstances, capital gains and business income, and I think it's even dividends, are taxed at zero, four percent. Like the, it will be taxed much, much lower in Puerto Rico. But the part that people forget about is that that is not on all capital gains. So people think I have huge capital gains. I'm going to run to Puerto Rico and I'm going to avoid them because I stay there for, there's an on-island requirement of 183 days, which means you physically have to be present for at least one minute, 183 days out of the year. So, you know, you can touch down in your jet and turn around and go back, right? I was there for a minute. I landed, got right up and you have to be able to provide it, but it's for Puerto Rican sourced income. So you either have to open up the business in Puerto Rico and have the dividends be derived from that Puerto Rican business, which is going to be really difficult if you're trading in the market. So I see people throwing this out there, but it's a little more difficult. I mean, there might be some wiggle rooms to wait or get around it, but I start saying, you better be millions of dollars if you're going through that much trouble. Now, we have clients that have moved there and moved their business operations. So you got to employ at least what, two people. Mm-hmm. And uh, there may be like, again, this is something that is on the table every year. But we've had people that are in the seven figures of annual income that have the ability to source that wherever they may be 
and they go to Puerto Rico because they can eliminate their tax and get it down to pretty much close to zero. But if that's not you, then it's probably not going to be worth it. So, yeah, when you start looking at the articles uh, that Puerto Rico has written for this, uh, meaning the laws, you quickly realize that these laws are meant to bring business into Puerto Rico, not make Puerto Rico simply a, a tax yeah. haven. Hey, I'm going to buy a house there and never pay tax. No, that doesn't work that way. Although, like, if you have to go to Puerto Rico, may I recommend that you look at old San Juan, maybe Dorado and Rio Grande. There's some beautiful, just one amazing island. But And then what's on the other side? We have a bunch of clients that live in a golf club on the other side. Sure. I can't remember the name of it. It's just beyond Rincon. Anyway, beautiful island. If you get a, go to Puerto Rico because you want to go to Puerto Rico. Though. Don't go there just for the tax benefits. You got to really like it. Plus... Somebody says, I believe the name is, is Bahia. Uh, Bahia. I think you're right. I think you're right. Oh, Palmas del Mar. Somebody got it. Gosh, they're good. You guys are really smart. It is Palmas del Mar. Gosh, how did you know that? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, my God. You just nailed it. That is smart. Yeah. Palmas del Mar. That is. It's beautiful. A beautiful stadium there and all sorts of fun stuff. All right. My two sons college age are limited partners in my retail space, rental LLC, which is really smart, by the way. Like, I don't always like giving interest to the kids, but they can pay for their college out of that income that's flowing through, right? So it's at their tax rate. So that's smart. Do they have to pay self-employment tax if they receive rental income as GPs or, or as LPs? Well, since this is an LLC, the proper term is just members. Yeah. So this is where it gets weird. LP means limited partnership. You can't be a limited partner in an LLC. So a member, non, we'll call it non-managing member. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing as an LP, but for an LLC, they don't have to pay self-employment taxes because they're not doing anything in that yeah, LLC. But even if they were, it's rental income, it's passive. Well, that's true. So like, this is the weird part. That's really smart. Yeah. So <laughs> rental income, we just went over this, is passive, right? How can you make it active? Well, it depends on what you're doing. Now, if I have a management company, so a lot of syndications will be set up where like, hey, we'll have the, the people that invest, but I'll have a corporation or something that is, that is, is where the, the folks that are managing it are, and they're charging a fee. So that's no different than charging to paint the house. I am getting a fee for a service. I am managing, I'm getting a service. It's no longer rental income. But if they do nothing else, and this dad or mom just sits there and lets that passive income flow through, it's just a partnership, no self-employment tax, no old age, disability, survivor's insurance, no Medicare, it ends up being pretty good. All right, let's see what else we got. Do any questions up there you want to answer? Yeah, is our board up there. Ah, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. They've answered 70 questions thus far. Holy cow. Somebody's asking about creating a lien against the house. Oh, so if they're worried about maybe property taxes, you could potentially put a lien against the house. It'd have to have substance. And then you foreclose and then you hose over the government and then they'd come after the estate. But anyway, yeah, you could potentially does, uh, do that. Does your company do paperwork for property into nonprofits? Also, someone already formed an LLC for the property, but the vision for the property changes. So is it possible to dissolve the LLC and remove it? Okay, well, we're not going to get into too much of the specifics. The answer is I love putting property into nonprofits. If, if it's for low to moderate income housing, 
for veterans, shared housing for uh, rehabilitation, dependency, for special needs, all those things qualify as, as nonprofit activity. The beautiful part is that when you donate the property into the nonprofit, you get the fair market value of that property so long as you held it for at least a year. So if I've held a property for 20 years, I've depreciated it. I'm pretty far along in the depreciation, but it's gone up in value. So we're at the peak of a market and we say, hey, you know what? I want to donate it. So you donate it. You get an appraisal. Your deduction is the fair market value, that appraisal. You're going to have to attach that appraisal to your return as well. To the, do you know what the form is? 8283. 8283. So you're going to put that on the tax form. And uh, it's going to be limited, like your taxable income. That's the limitation, right? Not adjusted. It's taxable income. It's going to be limited to 30% of your taxable income per year, but you can carry it forward five years. So if Jeff's making 200 grand, he gives a $500,000 piece of property away to a charity, Toby's nonprofit, then Jeff gets to write off. So he's making 200. So 30% of that would be 60. So he'd get $60,000 off. In year one, 60 in year two, 60 in year three, 60 in year four, 60 in year five, 60 in year six. So you're going to get to write off about $360,000 of that mm-hmm. 500. So you mentioned that this house that you're donating is almost fully depreciated. Mm-hmm. What happens to depreciation recapture? Don't I have to pay tax on that? No. Mm. See? Mm. Jeff's liking this. Right. No. And we could do that with Bitcoin. We can do that with stocks. We can do that with any capital asset. It actually is pretty cool. I think there might be some, if it's an antique or a art. I oh, collectible. Yeah. There's some sort of funky rule, but there's a limitation on how much you can write out. It's like 20%. Right. Let's see if there's any other questions. I will just go right on in. Oh, look at that. Follow Anderson. We're on Facebook, YouTube. LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get your doses, your tax doses, your asset protection doses, your business running dose, whatever. You guys see today, by the way, that the, uh, who was it that came out about Bezos and Warren Buffett and Elon Musk uh, not paying tax? I I did hear that. But they were comparing what the most wealthy people pay compared to their net worth, what to what we pay compared to our net income. Right. They're dorks. But uh, I think somebody's going to go to jail over that, though. I think somebody got somebody's tax returns and disseminated it without their approval. Um, because they wouldn't say where they got the information. But they've been doing that for like, what, they did it to the past president and nobody got in trouble. Of course, everybody jumped on him. But it's kind of like, all right, so now you did it to Buffett. You did it to Elon. Elon's just going to tweet, you know, and some something bad's going to happen to you. Somebody's going to disappear. <laughs> Bezos is like, hey, don't mess with me. I'm taking off into space. <laughs> Bezos is going to be up in the, up at the moon. Yeah, somebody says the results are stark. 25 people saw their net worth rise a collective 401 billion. They paid 13 billion in federal income taxes. Yeah, well, we've been telling them how they do it uh, for a while. Like if you ever get bored, just go back and listen. And like just about every time we talk about loans are not income, right? So if you have a highly appreciated asset, you do a security backline of credit. So if you have a big trading account, don't sell stuff off to live, just get a loan against it. The, you know, it used to be LIBOR plus like a half a percent. So it was like for a long time, it was like 2% you pay on your security backline of credit. It's like, why would I sell it and have to pay 20? 
or 23.8 plus my state when I could just borrow against it. And that's how a lot of these guys uh, live. They, they borrow against their assets. In fact, I think they said Elon had something like $80 billion pledged against his Tesla shares. 100% legal. It's just being smart, although we'll demonize him. We like a little class warfare in this country. So we'll get all ticked off at him. But until you sell something, it's not taxable. So it said Bezos' wealth grew by $99 billion over the four-year period, but he paid a true tax rate of 0.98%. <laughs> and to be clear, that was based on his net worth, yeah. not his income. We don't tax net worth here. Not until Except you when you die, right? right. And, and then, and then, well, you know, will those guys get gotten? No, because they're going to give it all to charity, which we've been saying for years. It's like there's trust or charity. Take your pick. When all the lawyers are like, "Do it well," I'm like, "Okay, you you don't work with people that are worried about taxes too much, are you? Or about court, voting court? You like court? You like taxes? Do that. Otherwise, don't. All right. Does the IRS allow you to defer and not take depreciation? Our group of investors do not want or need depreciation, which we're going to have some fun thoughts here. Can we not take it and wait to take it in the year of sale? IRS does require you to take depreciation. Put it this way. If you don't take depreciation, they're still going to reduce your basis by the amount of depreciation that you were supposed to take. So depreciation you may or may not take, but you must recapture. So if you don't take depreciation, you're going to have to pay tax on it, even if you didn't. So I'd yeah. like, like, it's great that you have investors that don't need to take it, but you better take it. Now, if it creates a loss, that's fine. When you sell it, that loss will be released and reduce your taxable sale, right? It's going to be released in the year of sale so right. when you get rid of it. Now, here's the thought for you guys. If you have investors that don't need depreciation, it means you don't need losses, there is the ability to do unequal distributions of loss in a partnership. So if you have an LLC tax as a partnership, you may want to take your group, meet with a good lawyer, and come up with two different classes of stock or of partnership, ones where the losses are allocated and one where there's not. And there should be some sort of economic benefit other than taxes for doing that. So there should be a perhaps a preferred payout or something along those lines. But if I don't need the depreciation and I'm willing to give it up, that means that the partnership's still going to take it, but it's going to, Jeff needs depreciation. I don't. He and I can enter, in, can enter into a partnership where all of the losses get allocated to Jeff because he needs the depreciation. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, then I just say, no, I don't need it. Uh, another thing I've seen is where all the business income, say it's rental income, goes to the managing member or the mm -hmm. GP and the investors are solely in for an equity stake mm -hmm. that when we sell this property, I'm going to get my share of it. Mm -hmm. And I've seen them also with guaranteed returns on those. So they're getting so much back every year of their original investment. But you have um, choices. It is possible. I hate saying this. It is possible to not take depreciation until the final year it's going to be treated the same way regardless. You're going to accept, like you're all, you're going to take it all the the depreciation that you failed to take and lump right. it into one year. Uh, you're going to have to do a change of accounting method, <laughs> file that form, and it may not be pretty. So I really would not recommend doing. But this. you want to you want to do it as you go along and take that yeah. loss, even if you guys don't need it. Carry it forward. It gets released the the year that you dispose of the property. If you don't dispose of the property, it just keeps carrying forward, right? Yeah. What about if you die? Do you lose it? 
Uh, no, whoever inherits your investment would get uh, the loss. Would get the loss, and if they take your place, they also get could get a step up in basis in that property. Mm-hmm. We like it then depreciate it again. <laughs> yes. All right. How is staking crypto taxed? Is it taxed twice? If it is taxed as income, but I never sell it, how could I afford to pay tax on it? So uh, staking is taxed a lot like uh, mining does. Uh, uh, staking is a lot more simple. That what is do, staking? Staking is you do something to earn a virtual currency or a fraction of a. You're verifying, currency. like when they talk you're about the blockchain. Exactly. You're one of the little computers that verifies the. This is right. Uh, so let's say you're awarded a dollar of staking crypto and mm-hmm. Filecoin or Bitcoin or what? Doge. Hey, I saw Coinbase is training Doge now. <laughs> Doge. <laughs> I don't. I bought Doge just out of stupidity. So, but that that dollar you received is treated as ordinary income. So now you have a dollar worth of that coin. That's also your basis in the coin. So you're going to pay tax on that dollar. Yep. If you go and sell that coin for two dollars, let's say three dollars, mm-hmm. you're going to pay capital gains of two dollars because your basis is a dollar. That's what you received, so, what it was worth when you received that stake. And, and this is where it gets weird. So it's ordinary income to you when you get paid for something. So if I give Jeff a dollar, or if I give Death Jeff a fraction of a Bitcoin, that's income to Jeff. He has to pay. Like, how do I afford to pay the tax? The IRS and the Treasury honestly doesn't care. They just say yo tax on it. So you made. $30,000, but I have no money. Tough cookies, pay up. That's how they act. So, but your basis is like Jeff said, what, what you received it. So what if, what if I sell it and I lose money? Then I have capital losses. This is where it gets really goofy. Capital losses cannot offset your ordinary income except $3,000 a year. So you could be in a situation where you're staking and you're making money, but you'd have to be pretty big. Let's say you, st- mm-hmm. you, you, you got twenty or $30,000 worth a staking payment, and that's ordinary income subject to self-employment tax. So you got all these taxes owed on it, and then the it crashes, and you sell it, and it's worth $1,000. So you, you got taxed at 30. You'd have to figure out your cost of running your equipment and everything else, reduce the amount. So you're 30. Let's just say that, let's just be real. You're going to end up, you know, let's just say that you had expenses that offset it by about $10,000. So you're going to end up with $20,000 of, of income. Your basis is 30 and you're going to take a loss of 29,000, but you're going to be limited to $3,000. So you're going to have $17,000 of total income. If you followed that, you get a star. If you're into crypto, you probably noticed that the past day, Crypto has been down another 10 to 20%. And it's down mm. for a really odd reason. Mm. The ransomware people, the people are... Oh, they got caught with it. Uh, they took it. They're getting paid in, in cryptocurrency. Uh, mm-hmm. Colonial paid uh, the Russian hackers $4.4 million. Mm-hmm. Well, oh. the Department of Justice went right into the hacker's wallet and pulled out $2.3 How did they get into the wallet? I'm not sure. They are obviously very good at what they do. Which well, that has kind of scared, scared everybody who's in crypto. I thought that they couldn't get in it. That's why you need a cold wallet, guys, so they can't sneak into it. Yeah, I know like uh, some of the softwares have uh, or don't, a cold wallet or, or a vault. Well, that's the same thing. So you have the, you have the actual Binance, uh, Coinbase, where they're actually the exchange and they're holding your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Then you have a an online wallet like you might have on your phone or something, which is connected to the internet, 
right? Somebody can get in there. And then you have the cold wallet where it's you're walking around with it in your pocket, it's coded, and you download it in, and then you could you could actually transfer that electronically. Yes, it's 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 yeah, it's important you keep that secure because if you get robbed of your virtual currency, it's not deductible. Crazy as that sounds. And somebody else is saying they found access to private keys. They have vaults where what is it, unchained and some others where you have multiple keys to a business. So like this was a business, the ransomware business. So somebody says uh, Bitcoin wasn't in a wallet, it was in an exchange based out of California. Oh, there we go. So the, they were actually sitting in the exchange where all we had to do is get to the exchange. And by the way, Coinbase shares information with the IRS. If you think that, hey, I'm not going to report any of that, you're going to get a knock on your day. Hey, we know you sold a bunch of Bitcoin. We know you traded it for a Tesla when you still could. <laughs> And it, and it remains one of the most highly audited areas. And somebody says the crooks were careless with the password. I want to figure out how they got in there. That's pretty funny. It's like I can see them. Uh, I can't remember. They can hack an oil line, but they can't keep their Bitcoin secure. That's the, just the group is called Dark uh, Something. But it's horrible. Can you imagine saying, "Oh, we got hacked." <laughs> I can't believe the government hacked us. Which, if they're, they're smart enough to do this stuff, hopefully we're smart enough to get it out of our yeah. society because. Uh, We've been around long enough to have been through this too. I hate this stuff. Like somebody opens an email and the next thing you know, you're isolating stuff off. Yeah, some of these guys, it was a affiliate of Darkside and Darkside. Darkside got their 15% cut. That's why they recovered only 85%. So some of you guys know it way better. So this it's fascinating, guys. Like we could tell crypto stories all day long, but we've had folks with the with the cold storage. You know, you always hear about people losing it, but we've had two people where they misplaced it, had panic, found it. And in one case, it was a, a veteran who had come back and his buddy reminded him, you might want to check your uh, device because you had Bitcoin on there. And the guy was like, really? Didn't even like had forgotten about it. And it was over $8 million worth of Bitcoin. It's kind of funny. And then we had an employee who had a bunch on uh, in the one of their cohorts, like next to them, moved an office and got his got his usb like he had to figure out where it was so that was pretty funny as he's panicking i think i've almost heard almost as many who have lost their keys as have been hacked those are donations to the communal group <laughs> so you look at it you lose your bitcoin you just you made everybody but it's like the opposite of the fed who keeps printing out more there's a staring it up in the questions i know 105 questions answered guys on in writing this is crazy if I'm doing a 1031 exchange, can I pay down my mortgage on the sale property to avoid boot? Boot. For example, the current loan on the relinquished property is 204000 New loan on replacement property is 194 I just know you want to answer this one. No, I think this is a great idea. If you have the cash to pay down your loan to keep from recognizing gain, mm-hmm. do it. It's a great idea. What is boot? Boot is any... Cash, let's start with just cash. And any value you receive out of the exchange, meaning it doesn't go into the next property. One of the weirdnesses of 1031 has to do with loans that you have to buy into another loan that that at least matches or exceeds your present loan. So you trade up in a 1031 exchange. You trade across or up. If you go down on equity price or the loan, Mm-hmm. then there's something called boot and boot is taxable to you. And the only way to avoid boot, there's only one that I know of is if it's mortgage boot 
you can bring cash to the table. This is the only one I know of and pay down mortgage boot. So in this particular case, there is boot. It's the difference between 204,000 and 194,000. So there'd be $10,000 that's taxable, but you can bring $10,000 to the table at closing and avoid the boot. Mm -hmm. So you can always reduce the mortgage amount. You can always bring more cash in. But if you're walking away with cash ever out of an exchange, you're paying tax on it. And how boot works is you get a dollar of boot and say you have significant gain. You're going to have you're deferring. You, for every dollar of boot you have, you have a dollar of gain. It's no weird percentage. It's dollar for dollar. Mm-hmm. Now I get this boots are made for walking thing. It just went through my head. It's like, gosh, 1031 exchange. I was thinking of the boot. The boot? The old German submarine movie. Das boot. Das boot. Das, das boot. boot. All right. Can solar credits be used one-to-one against capital gains? So the money you pay out is at least going towards a product that you own. No. And the reason for this is a credit is a credit against tax. It directly reduces your tax. If you have a $10,000 credit and your tax is $15,000, then your net is you only owe $5,000 in tax. The problem I saw with this is you don't want to apply anything against capital gains that's the last thing you want to apply. Unless against. it's short term. Unless it's short term. Sure. Yeah. So and I'm thinking long term. Yeah. So tax credit is just like a dollar. So is it used one to one against capital gains? No, it's used on the taxes owed on capital gains. And you should be looking at your rate. So, like Jeff just said, if you have long term capital gains and that's all you're paying tax on, your solar credits are being like, use it against something where it's high tax rate. Like that you're, you're much better off. But in most cases, your tax credit is simply like, hey, if I own $10,000 and I have a tax credit of five, great. It's just used. It's not a deduction. It's used like cash against it. Now, right. something to plant a seed on, guys. This is pretty big in my, in my mind. And I want to I see the incentive. Let's see if the government ever figures this out. Right now, they'll give you a 26% tax credit on solar installation on your personal home or if you're a landlord on a rental home. They'll also allow you to depreciate that same solar panel array on a, including the installation on a rental home, but they limit your basis for deduct the deduction by half of the credit. So if your credit was 26%, you take 13%, half of that against whatever it is that you, that you paid and you could depreciate the rest. If you want landlords to go solar, increase the incentive. If you make it 50%, landlords all over the place are going to slap solar on all their properties. Like, I'm, I'm actually holding off on putting solar on my house because I find it hard to believe that nobody in this administration has suggested increasing I just, the credit. If you want to, like you want to, how did Tesla benefit? Subsidization. You know, they subsidized the cost of the car with the $7,500 tax credit and they were going out like hotcakes, right? Right. How does Amazon, how are they successful? They subsidize the, the uh, delivery with the U.S. Postal Service and through others. Out of Boeing, they're subsidized. Like, like you could go through the whole list of people taking advantage of when the government says, hey, we're going to give you some, some incentive to do something. Right now, people aren't acting on the 26%, so it's probably not high enough. But if the government really wanted to do something where it didn't cost them a, a nickel, and you wanted to see a whole bunch of solar go out there, that's how you do it. 
A lot of places will lease solar. Now, there's unfortunately no solar credits to you for that. To Uh, them, it would be, right? Yeah. So it's still not, it's much cheaper than actually purchasing the solar yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. It saves you some money on energy, hopefully. We don't know the true lifespan of a solar, too. Right. A lot of this stuff, the original solar panels put up are still good. I, and I think uh, that's one of the advantages with some of the leasing is they replace the panels as they go. I don't think they do go. That's the thing. Yeah. But um, I think Tesla's making panels now. Tesla's absolutely making panels. And they had panels that were on roofs in uh, Houston when we had the big, uh, in Texas, when you had that, that big freeze and you had the failure of the electric system and they didn't miss a beat. So there's something to be said for going off grid a little bit on the electric side, especially when they say that the underbelly of our country is, is our electric grid and that mm-hmm. the hackers might be targeting it. It might be time to look at it, but I wish that the government would incentivize us to do it. If it was me, I'd say, hey, you, let's jam this on. Like, hey, we really want to spur the economy. <laughs> Give us a tax credit that's so tasty that we can't resist. And all the uh, landlords out there will be like, yeah, I'll put it on my property. There's a lot of us. I would like it. Anyway, so that's about it for today. We're at four. Look at that. What the heck? Are we at time? 402. We're so good today. This is crazy. We're good. (laughs) All right. So, hey, you guys, you can always subscribe to our YouTube channel. By all means, uh, do. Please <laughs> come on and join us. Spread the word and know that Tax Tuesdays are always free and anybody can join. I don't care whether you're an Anderson client or not. Please invite other people. So we, you know, we like doing these. If you like this and you, you like the information, go to our podcast. There's a ton of really cool information out there. I just did a uh, another one on conservation easements. You hear it in a negative sense, but we have folks that do it the right way. And some really, really bright folks. And I, I brought Tyler Surratt on, on, on another one that they're doing this year. And these are legitimate. Like there's actually a developer, meet the developer. And part of the land they're conserving, part of the land they're developing. So we know exactly what their what their costs and the benefits are, which is what the IRS wants to see. So they do a really great job. There's not too many people. We only had one that we approved of last year. We'll have one that we approve of this year. There's no others. Uh, and it's because so many of them are, are full of uh, pooping. That's a legal term, but I'll, by all means, go in and listen. I doubt that'll be up on the podcast soon. Replays are uh, also are in your platinum portal. If you're platinum, if you have questions you want to email in, we always grab 10, 15, depending on our, on, on how long we want to go. If we want to go to midnight, we'd grab 20 questions and uh, we just grab whatever's, whatever's sitting there and it looks juicy. Uh, sometimes they, uh, we have a, we have a group that, answers them and bets them out and says, here's ones that are good for the, for the Q and A. And I'll just tell you, I, I, there's usually about 50 of them that come through and get sent over to me and I grab 10 of them and we put them onto the slide. So by all means, we'll still be getting to your questions, but, but throw them on in there. Maybe, maybe you make the grade and you get on, get your question answered live. It's always fun. We're pretty close. Like we don't get, like, again, we get one out of five that we're getting to answer live, but we're grabbing them from a week ago. Yeah, generally speaking, they're they're fairly up to date. So you guys all rock, and uh, thanks for listening. Anything you want to add? No, I'm glad to do this, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, we will see you next time. I'll stop the share and then say goodbye to you guys. So anyway, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. 
be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.